Welcome back to Sailor's Disgrace. This is episode five. I'd like to begin this with a quote from one of my all-time favorite bands, The Grateful Dead. This song is attributed to Jerry Garcia and lyricist Robert Hunter. The song is Scarlet Begonias, and the line is, Once in a while you get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right. And that's what happened to me. I was shown the light in 2016. And it was not exactly an illuminating experience. It was definitely a strange place where it came out of. I was not expecting it. And it, when it came on to me, when it came up, I was petrified to my core. I was shooken. I was just completely changed by what had happened. And uh, to get into it, uh, 2016, June, I was stationed in Baltimore as a chief, and I made warrant officer that June. And I reported to Houston and Galveston. And shortly thereafter, I had to go to uh, what we colloquially, colloquially refer to as Fork and Knife School. Uh, but it's actually Chief Warrant Officer Professional Development course at the uh, Academy, the Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut. And it's called Fork and Knife School because they actually teach chiefs uh, how to eat. We actually have a, I forget if it's a full day or a half day course on how to properly eat at a formal dinner setting and how to eat in the wardroom with the officers because you're now an officer. And, and there's other stuff that we have to learn, of course. It's a two-week class and yeah, we learn everything about Coast Guard leadership and how to speak to senior leadership, how to affect change, how to lead others, and, and, and how to behave as an officer and, and all that stuff. So um, I went into it and coincidentally there were actually some shipmates from the chase in that class. Um, nobody that I really hung out with on the chase. We had different social circles. I think they had families and things like that, but you know, some familiar faces. Uh, the Coast Guard's so small, you're always going to bump into somebody, at least one or two, no matter where you go. So anyway, um, I get to the class, and I, to be quite honest, pretty low expectations of the class. I was just going to go and do what I had to do, check the box, and move on with my life, get back to work, like everything else. And the first couple days of class, and that's exactly what I did, I, yeah, I just did everything like normal, you know, did the classes and met the instructors and did the assignments and went out and had beers with the guys in the class and the, everything was going perfectly normal, just normal, until we had an eight-hour day, a full day on sexual assault and harassment. And if you listen to the previous episode, the interview with Shannon Norenberg, she is the sexual assault response coordinator for the academy, for the Coast Guard Academy. And She's the one that presented the course, the class that day. And I don't know what it was exactly, but something about the way she was presenting the class was different than anything I'd heard before. And I'd heard plenty of training on sexual assault. And the few years prior to this, it was a big issue within the military. It was very well publicized. It was in Congress. It was basically forced down our throats. We had many training sessions and all-hand meetings and it felt like we were oversaturated with sexual assault training and sexual harassment training and to the point where we just didn't want to hear it anymore and that's where I was I was like oh great eight hours of nothing but sexual assault this is gonna be a blast you know but when she started talking 
something resonated with me. Something really hit me. It's like a tuning fork, you know, it just grabbed my attention and something inside of me, I could feel it. I could physically feel something inside of me waking up and I didn't know what it was at first. You know, to put it back 2004 when the trauma happened, I, I had buried it so deep inside of me. I never even considered it a possibility or a reality or part of my life. And then all of a sudden something is something is starting to creep up, something's starting to bubble up inside of me. And I couldn't identify it. But I listened to her all day. I kept listening. And it's and I couldn't focus on exactly what she was saying. But there was something of in me that said I need to talk to her. And she also she also had a lieutenant in the classroom, a an officer that was a lawyer and had prosecuted several sexual assault and harassment cases at the court martial level and was speaking on that that issue. And I spoke to her first. I remember asking her, and and this is the first thing I ever said to anybody, even myself, about what had happened, even hinted at what had happened. And I asked her if there was a statute of limitations on sexual assault in the military. And she said no and left it at that. I'm not sure if I caught her off guard or if I was so protective of what I was saying inside that she couldn't sense I had something to say. But um, anyway, I eventually at the end of the class, I spoke to Shannon and I asked her if she would have time to talk one-on-one. -on -one. And she said, of course. And I believe I met her later after that class. I met her in a conference room down the hallway. And there was a long table it was just the two of us. And she said, what's, what can I do for you? What's, what's going on? And I can't remember exactly what she said, but I do remember the, what I said. And I, I looked past her. I couldn't even look directly at her when I said it. And it just came out. It just came out. And I said, when I was a non-rape on my 378, I was raped and a floodgate opened inside of me and everything became hyper real at that moment. And I can't tell you exactly what she said or what, what went on after that specifically. I know there was some paperwork. I think I made, I did. I made a restricted report at first, meaning it wouldn't go through the command. It was just between her and I, and there wasn't going to be any, um, legal involvement, you know, but, and I, I just remember though, the feeling I had as, as it all opened up and started coming out of me, it was as if I was raped there in that conference room. That's what it felt like. I was finally experiencing what I had suppressed for 12 years. And it was very real, visceral. I mean, I could feel all the emotions and I felt sick and scared. And I felt like I was about to die right there. And I remember Shannon was so kind and understanding with me that I 
I just felt like I, I did the right thing, but I also felt that I screwed up, that I somehow let this horrible secret out and now it was going to kill me. And I can't remember a lot of the details. I remember that was August 3rd, the day before Coast Guard Day 2016. And there's a Coast Guard Day celebration the next day, and we had you know barbecue and whatever, food trucks. And, and I can't remember if it was the fourth or the next day, the fifth. And I and, and I just to kind of backtrack a little bit, I shared a room in the barracks with another warrant officer, a great guy, he's a nice guy. But I all of a sudden became a psychopath. <laughs> I I couldn't communicate. I couldn't function. I, I hit it very well, I think. But I was not able to be myself. Like, like the days before that, I was normal Julian, normal Chief Warrant Officer Bell, going to the school like everybody else, checking the box. And all of a sudden, I was in crisis mode. And I, I just remember going to sleep early, and I, I think he made a comment on that. I remember taking a shower, and I could not even touch my my backside. I remember going to wash wash my, my rear end, and... I started convulsing in the shower. I almost threw up. Then I dry heaving in the shower and about to collapse. And I was so afraid that my roommate would hear, somebody would hear, that I held it in and stifled it. But it, it was full, total body convulsions. I couldn't even touch where it happened to me because it felt like it had just happened. Like it just happened. And it was powerful and it was like terrifying, I think it's my key phrase when I talk about this. And it was like that until I decided to speak with Shannon again. And I went through it and I said, you know what? I want to make an unrestricted report. And I knew what that meant. But I figured I've gone this far. I'm suffering. And I, I can't stop now. I have to go a fool full nine yards on this. I have to push it. And she walked me through that paperwork and I, sp I spoke about it during the interview with her, but I just could not focus on the paperwork. She explained it to me and I obviously knew the paperwork from all the training we had before over the past couple of years, but I just started signing stuff. Um, but I knew that meant my command would know, my medical would know, that CGIS would know, the investigators, I would be assigned a lawyer, and I would have to start this whole process. And it sent me for a loop, and, but it was also a relief. It was a relief to finally say it in a way, in a small way. Because <laughs> I, like I said, it felt like it had just happened to me. And I remember a few days later, or maybe it was the next day, uh, she set up an interview with the CGIS agents, and I had a lawyer flying in from Washington, D.C., who actually I knew from Baltimore. <laughs> Great guy. I actually had dinner with him and his family uh, in Washington, D.C. a few years prior to that. And again, as a small Coast Guard, he even asked me, he's like, do you want me to be your lawyer? Because we can get somebody else. I said, no, I think the universe is speaking to me. I think it's good that I know you. And he's just a very great guy, good human being. But I remember sitting, I remember walking, walking towards the office to go speak with the CGIS agents. And I was in my TROPS, I was in my tropical blue uniform with the shoulder boards and the combo hat. And, 
and it was drizzling outside and I was holding my black umbrella in my left hand and I could feel every raindrop that was hitting that umbrella all it felt like it was just vibrating down into my hand through the through the umbrella and I was squeezing that handle so tight I was frozen as I was walking to go speak about what had happened to me finally and it was my fear it was my flight instinct it was telling me to get the hell out of there to run away to not do this and every step i took felt like a hundred yards like i i i was just alone <laughs> drizzling rain it's like something out of a movie walking to you know like walking the green mile to the electric chair is what it felt like yeah, but i kept going i kept going and i finally get there and the office they put us in there's two CGS agents sitting behind a desk with the camera set up and i knew they're gonna do the camera thing and shannon was there with me to my left and so was my lawyer and the office that they put us in was in construction or they're reorganizing stuff so there were boxes everywhere it was cramped and it just felt like the worst possible scenario you know i was expecting i was hoping something a little more professional but i get it you know things aren't always clean but it just felt like i was shut into a broom closet with a camera and told to speak about the most traumatic event in my life <laughs> and i did and i did and I remember discussing it. And I've worked with CEGIS on different cases, on criminal cases for pollution violations and various other incidents throughout the Coast Guard, Marine incidents. And so I knew their line of questioning, I knew their tactics, and I was expecting that. So I think that helped me in a way. And it's not like they were interrogating me, but they were just trying to get me to talk. And they would ask question after question after question and have me explain in details best I could about what they looked like and where I was, what time of day it was. And I felt terrible because I could not remember and I still can't remember many of those details. And I was, I felt so sad that I couldn't, you know, that time had passed and maybe that's why I couldn't. But really it was because I, even if they asked me two days after the rape, I probably would not be able to answer all those questions. It wouldn't be there in my memory. I remember drawing on a piece of paper. They had me draw the barracks, and I'm not an artist at all, but I tried to draw what the 12-story building looked like, and they're trying to get me to textualize what I was remembering and if it would trigger anything, any other memories. And I drew the building, and I tried to describe the time of day and what floor it was on, and I couldn't recall that information and then again they try to get details in the people's faces and the only person i remember was the other coastie of course whose name i remember but the other navy personnel had no idea and as i was talking and i was shaking and then i started dry heaving i started i almost threw up on myself i remember i had to grab a trash can and spit into it and they gave me tissues and snots running out of my face nose <laughs> and 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 that was very real it was very real when it finally happened to me and i 
couldn't fathom being able to tell that when I was 19 or 20 years old. And that condition and the way things were in the Coast Guard on the boat, there's no way I could have. Me personally, I'm not saying nobody could. There are other people that I'm sure they could and they did. But for me and my reality and my maturity and my fears and my suppression of everything in my life, even before that, and we'll talk about that later, but I could not face that. It took me until I was in a position of leadership in the Coast Guard. I was a warrant officer. Even as a chief, I couldn't say this stuff, but it took me that long. And to become a father and all that stuff until I finally had the strength to come forward. And when I finally came forward, I was a total mess. And the interview went on for some time. And they sent me back to my room. And I know it was a two-week class, and I can't remember all the details of the class itself after that. It's a blur. We were telling the instructors. I had to tell the instructors because I was going to miss class time to go speak with Cetus. <clears throat> and they were very understanding. One of the instructors was actually on the chase as well, not at the same time. But we talked about that. And I felt like I was floating. I remember after the interview, I went back to Shannon's office and I laid down on her couch. And I remember I, felt, I told her I felt like my head was a balloon drifting away from my body. Like I was detaching from myself again and I, I was so lost and I was so devastated. And I remember talking to her and I remember giving her a hug and telling her thank you. And that's all I really remember. Um, the rest of the class, like I said, I went through, we, we passed, we graduated. I was sent back to Texas. And um, when I got to Texas, it felt terrible. I was so afraid of what, who knew, you know, who knew what happened to me. I was told that my, my deputy, my XO was informed and I believe my captain was in medical so I think the first stop I made was medical because I knew I needed help um, so I went to the Coast Guard clinic there in Houston which is just one floor down from my office and um, I will say I, I did not have a pleasant experience with Coast Guard medical and I remember I, I walked up to the the office window and where they check you in and they ask how they could help me and I said I need to see a doctor and I said what for and I said well I need to see a doctor I can't tell you here it's a waiting room with a bunch of people there and the young HS3 or whoever he was no fault to him he's like well I need to know I said no you don't I need to go see a doctor I said well maybe you can write it down on this piece of paper I said no I can't I need to go see a doctor and he said okay sir have a seat <laughs> so I got a little frustrated right off the bat not at him, but just, I just needed to go see a doctor. I wasn't going to say it in front of all these people in a, in a room. And um, I finally go back to see the doctor. And again, I'm just scared. And I remember staring at my boots. I'm in uniform, staring at my boots. And he comes in, and 
I just blurted out, you know, about what happened. I was raped 12 years ago, and I just came out with it. I'm having a very hard time, and I don't know what to do. And he basically started reading off a checklist. You know, Have you thought about hurting yourself? Have you thought about this? And of course I had. Of course. Uh, I was, to be completely honest now, seven years after 2016, I was suicidal. I was absolutely suicidal. But I didn't say it. I knew better. Going back to my first episode and what happened with my shipmate who was being processed out for saying he was suicidal, I knew that if I said that, I'd most likely lose my job. I would not. I didn't have 20 years in the service yet. I wouldn't be able to retire. Maybe I can medically retire, but my pension would be much less than if I stayed in for another seven years to make 20. And you know, what would happen then? You know, what would happen to my family, with my son? My son was only four years old at the time, almost four. All that. So I, I buried that part of it. You know, I, I could not say that, yes, I'm suicidal. You should probably lock me up. I need to be institutionalized because this is not good. No, I didn't say that. I just said that I'm having a very hard time. I can't sleep and I needed help. So he basically prescribed me some Zoloft to calm me down and referred me out to a psychiatrist and psychologist. And that was kind of it with the Coast Guard Medical, but the doctor was say doctor but the coast guard medical guy officer was very abrupt you know he, he could tell he was uncomfortable which i get it's not a comfortable situation but then i had a waste of his time that's how i felt that what i was doing was not important and and he really wasn't there to help me he was just pushing me out of his office so be it you know and i didn't have any help really other than that from the Coast Guard medical side of things. I remember I went and spoke with my deputy around that same time, my second command. And I just wanted to tell him personally what had happened to me because I knew he, had, he was on the phone call from the academy when I made the unrestricted report. He basically said, I'm sorry to hear that. And I, I remember I was on the phone call, but I didn't really recall the name of who it was. So he didn't even know who it was. Didn't care. It seemed like he didn't care. Um, and he was, I like the guy, but that kind of took me aback a little bit. It's like, you got a call about someone being sexually assaulted and having a breakdown, and you only remember the person's name? You know, holy shit. Um, okay. Yeah, but he was empathetic at the time and basically said, what well, he should say, if you need anything, let us know. And I just went about my day, and I did what I always did. You know, I went back to work. <coughs> I, uh, didn't tell anybody else at work. There was one person I told, but um, and I told my sister and my wife at the time, of course. I told her, and I continued that way. And I started taking the medication, which did calm me down at first. And I switched medications, and uh, it did calm me down at first. I'll give it that. But after a while, it, it really started to affect me. I had a lot of side effects. I had a lot of um, sleepless nights and drooling and, and appetite issues and I would feel electric shocks in my brain and it was horrible horrible and I know it affects different people different ways but I knew I had to get off that stuff but what really helped me was the therapy I started 
a lot of therapy at first and I um, am grateful for the therapist I had civilian therapist of course and I went through a lot of therapy to discuss what happened and how to handle it and I'll talk more about how to handle these things after a different episode but this episode's more the immediate aftermath of that and I, I just want to reiterate that trauma doesn't have an expiration date it doesn't lie dormant and die it can creep up at any time anywhere and it can come at you when you least expect it and you can be as strong and as stoic as you want for 12 years 50 years it doesn't matter but if it comes out it's going to come out all at once and it's going to be a tidal wave that takes over your life and it can cripple you even when you think you're strong even when you think that nothing can hurt you or everything in your life is perfect or even if it's not perfect and my life wasn't perfect anyway and I can honestly say that having gone through that experience and trying to comprehend everything that happened to me 12 years after the fact and placing all the things I did in between you know with the drinking and the suppression and, and that it was really an awakening moment it was really a moment in my life that I needed to grow that I needed to become more mature that I needed to really survive even myself you know the path I was on was not healthy just with the drinking alone but even relationships and people I was with and it would not have been well for me had I suppressed it any longer even though my outward appearance was great you know I I made chief warrant officer in, in 13 years and my career was going great and I had a good job and I was finally making money and I was respected and well liked in my community in the Coast Guard and all that stuff but had I continued the way I was going before coming out to Shannon with this trauma I would have crashed in a different way I think and it would not have been able I would not have been able to recover from that I think I would not have had the tools that I have now because of coming out of my trauma and it's taken me seven years to get to this point and I don't want to yeah I don't want to get ahead of myself and spoil the next couple episodes but it was allowing myself to finally feel that pain to finally recognize what happened that put me on that process of healing and put me on that process of inner strength and acceptance and understanding too for others so that's where I think I'd like to leave this episode um, it's a difficult topic and I'd love to hear your feedback please if you guys want to send 
audio recordings, asking questions, or on the Facebook group or Instagram, send me a message, or if you'd like to talk just one-on-one -on -one or even on the page, please, I'd really love to hear from you all, and I'm getting some messages from people, so thank you for reaching out for those I have. It's been uh, very eye-opening, and it's been very rewarding, and I love hearing from old shipmates and even from people I don't know, so please spread the word. And I really appreciate your time listening to me. And I promise I'm going to get this more interactive in the future. But uh, thank you again, everyone. And I'd just like to give a quick plug. Thanks to David Brown of Wayward Blues for the music, for the theme music. Check him out. His link is in my descriptions. He's a great musician. He's also an ex-Coastie. Also my cousin, but he's a great guy, talented musician. Mom donated this music for for the podcast, so thank you, David. And as always, everyone, thanks again for coming, thanks again for listening, and take care of yourselves. I've been down since I was born. Think I'm